It's great to be here, everyone. Uh, so, I don't think anyone gave me an introduction, which is perfectly fine. I prefer it that way, <laughs> so I get to get my own introduction. Um, my name's Dan, and I live in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm a nobody. Uh, I always like starting off like that. There's really nothing really about me that's really special. I kind of grew up in, in Indiana. Um, didn't really grow up in a very like famous like family uh, very much. Or we kind of grew up, we lived out in the boondocks somewhere. I'm not really talented. I don't feel like um, I'm never going to write a book. It's going to be like a bestseller, and there might be a few people in my wedding or, or, or my uh, you know my uh, wedding or maybe my um, you know funeral one day, but probably not that many. Um, but with all that said, uh, I feel very special. Um, not because of anything about myself, but because I know that. The Lord looks down upon me and sees a son, and, and that's what makes the rest of us here special too, is that we have that, that relationship with the Lord, uh, that we are uh, sons and daughters of, of the King, and we get to bow down before him. That's just a blessing for us. And so um, I pray that I can kind of share a few things, um, and as, as Jane prayed that, prayed, that I can make the point, and so I want to, I want to make a point um, today. Uh, and the points we'll, we'll be looking at are from the passage that was read in the book of Acts. And so I was excited that you guys are studying through the book of Acts on, on uh, the morning Bible class. And that's just fantastic. Um, the church in Boston is maybe kind of similar to this church in some ways where uh, we're relatively new. We're about maybe five years old or something like that. And we also meet downtown. And, and so maybe there's some similarities there. And uh, so a few of us... Most of the young adults moved up there to help start a church, and then we started thinking, well, like, how do you do this? <laughs> and we've had to, like, talk through things that I'm sure you guys have had to talk through as far as, you know, make decisions on things that maybe before had always been made for us, but now we're put in this position where we have to, to make some of those choices. And so one of the things that we did, and I did personally, is it's like, well, when I look in the Bible, like, is, is our blueprint for, like, what a church should be and how they should act and, and how they you know, relate to one another, and what's the focus, and so I started just reading a lot, and, and uh, looking at from that in mind, and we have some, some negative examples, I think we were mentioned earlier about the, the Corinthian church, like, we don't, I don't want to imitate too much of what we see there, uh, but then we have some positive examples, don't we, we have some really strong churches, and so I'm going to look at, I want us to consider um, my favorite church in the New Testament, the church in Antioch, uh, when I was first kind of reading through this, like, wow, this is the church that I would want to be a part of, um, Boston's like second, you know, if you guys make a good impression of me, you guys make it third, I don't know. Um, and so we're going to read the, the, this uh, and kind of go through this. The first thing I want to do is kind of just kind of take a summary through these couple chapters in Acts that talk about the Antioch church and just kind of so you guys kind of feel like you know them a little bit. And then we'll kind of go back through and maybe find out some lessons and some things that we can apply to ourselves and that, that can be helpful. So, Acts 11, uh, in verse, starting in verse 19. And we'll just kind of take a verse or two and just kind of uh, break it down a little bit. So, then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. So, this is kind of a little bit of a head-scratcher here because something really big happened in the previous chapter. Uh, we learned in the previous chapter that the very first Gentile family was converted uh, through, through Peter. And so sometimes in my head I think, oh, as soon as that happened, that has opened the floodgates, and now every single Jewish Christian is now sharing the gospel with Gentiles. It's not how it happened. Uh, it seems like, yeah, they heard about that, and yeah, that was a nice story, and yeah, go Peter for doing that. 
But it seems like the common um, practice was still for these Jews to take out the gospel and primarily teach to people just like them or similar to them, uh, other Jews. And so the word is, and, and Christians are being scattered at this point, and they're taking the, the, the gospel to other places, but they're only teaching it to people like them, people um, that, are, that are Jews as well. But verse 20, we learn about our heroes of the story about the, in the church in Antioch. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number of believe, uh, who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached... Oh, we'll still stop there. So here we have in verse 20, some men. We're not even told their names. But some of these men, they went off, and they're not even from Antioch. I kind of wonder why they went there. Um, probably because it was such a large city. Maybe they're just like, well, there's just people there. Um, and so they went up there. And I'm not really sure how this happened, but they started teaching Jesus to Greeks and to Gentiles. Uh, I'm not really sure how this happened. I can imagine me a couple of them just kind of like started like whispering, like, like what, what do you think about these other people? Like, what do you think about these, these Gentiles here? And like, well, they need the gospel too. And so maybe they had a little bit of a conference there and talked about it. Like, well, well let's do it. And I imagine this was kind of an awkward thing because it's not like they grew up knowing how to teach the gospel to, to Greeks. I mean, typically we see the way of teaching the gospel was through like Old Testament prophecy and through referencing these Old Testament passages. And so you can imagine maybe some of these men when they first walk into Antioch and they sat down next to a Gentile, like, so, you know, like King David, right? When he, who's King David? <laughs> you know, or like, you know, like Isaiah 53, right? Uh, Isaiah, who, who, who's Isaiah? And so you imagine just how like, there would have to have been some blunders, I feel like. Uh, if there anyone like, like me, I'm sure there were some, some growing pains there with how to teach the gospel to these people who had no really reference point to the Old Testament passages. And so, but they did it because there was a need and because they were convicted about what Peter did with Cornelius and his household. And we learned that the Lord blesses courageous men. And so these men who were courageous, who did this thing, were kind of pioneers to an extent. The hand of the Lord is with them, and a large number believed and turned to the Lord. Then in verse 22, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a considerable number and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And so uh, this news, you can imagine, kind of caught fire. And so news about this, 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 this you know, interracial church kind of started, you know, billowing down to Jerusalem. And this is a kind of a, a novelty. This is a strange news to hear. And so they sent up Barnabas, like, check this out. And I'm not really sure what their motivation for uh, sending Barnabas up there. Maybe like, oh, okay, you know, can you just kind of like put a cap on this maybe? Or like, what's going on here? This is some crazy things we're hearing. So they send up Barnabas. And Barnabas gets there. And it says here that when he got there that he witnessed the grace of God. And I kind of wonder, like, what does that mean to witness the, the grace of God? Um, God's grace isn't necessarily something that you can visibly see, like love or like faith. But you can see, like, the effects of it, can't you? And imagine this church, more than any other church in the ancient times at this point, you could see the effects of grace. Because imagine every other church to this point, 
primarily was made up of Jews. And so these are men that would grow up, men and women and families that would grow up knowing the Lord, trusting the Lord, um, being moral. Not this church in Antioch. This was a church full of like ex-pagan, you know, pagans and, and, and idol worshipers and Im- immoral people, maybe some, you know, prostitutes, maybe, you know, that, and, and now they've changed. And so when Barnabas got here, he saw the grace of God working in these people. And so he began joining the work, like, this is great. So he began teaching and encouraging them to remain true to God. Don't give up. Keep it, you know, keep at it. But... He realizes before too long that he needs some backup. He needs some new recruits. And so, in verse 25, And he left Tarsus to look for Saul. And when they had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so he's kind of getting overwhelmed with how many people are wanting to hear, want to be encouraged, want to be taught about the gospel. And you can imagine me, Barnabas is like, wait a minute. I know the perfect guy for this job. Back when Paul was first baptized, he was told by Ananias that he would be God's instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. <laughs> Here's a church of Gentiles. So this is the perfect place for Paul. So he, he travels about 100 miles south to get Paul, to get Saul, and he brings him up there, and they just get to work. And for an entire year, there's teaching and preaching in this, this really diverse church here. And so we see that they're being blessed. And we learn in verse 26... The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so if you want to win a Bible trivia game with your friends, you'd look, where's the very first Christian in the Bible? Not Acts 2. Uh, well, I guess they were Christians. But they weren't called Christians until Acts, Acts 11. This is probably um, not a name that they came up for themselves. Um, it's speculation. This is probably a term that was coined from the culture's uh, name for them, um, which I think in some ways tells you a little bit about these people. That these, you know, you can imagine maybe... Um, some, uh, some, some, some town folk in Antioch, you know, looking over at these, you know, saints, these, these believers over here, like, who are those people? Like, I don't know, they're talking about Christ all the time, and they're like, talk, you know, they're, they're, they're the Christ people, they're the Christ men, they're the Christians. And that's kind of the kind of reputation they would have among their community. Verse 27 continues this, this story, this kind of overview here. Now, at this time, prophets came up from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending in the, it in the charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. And so uh, this prophet comes up, Agabus, and he's predicting through you know, prophecy, through, through God's intent, that um, there's going to be this famine over all the world, and so um, the, the, the area of Judea is going to be really hurting. And so these Christians are very generous. And you can imagine how maybe how blessed they felt by, you know, Barnabas being sent up their way. And even these men who first brought the gospel to them, they were originated in Jerusalem, and they went their way. And then Paul went their way, and now they get to give back <laughs> to an extent. They get to contribute. They, this, 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 you know, this kind of Gentile church is able to then sustain and help these, these, uh, these, this, this area in which they had received so much good from. And so this would have been a really beautiful picture there. So they send the, the money, and they send it through Barnabas and Saul. 
And then we learn that they return back in chapter 12 in verse 25 from this trip. And it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had arrived the, uh, from, uh, when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. And so John is another kind of uh, young man. Uh, we're going to see him being an evangelist or you know, some indication of that. And so they bring up him. So they're bringing even more workers and more people to come and help the job. And then something very interesting happens in chapter 13. Now there was... We're in Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set them apart, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so here we learn about even more teachers in this town and in this church in Antioch. But the Lord has plans. And so he says, I have plans for Barnabas and for Saul. I want them to go on this trip. And this would actually turn out to be the first what we call the missionary journey, the first preaching trip. And so these, these people, these Christians here, they pray, they fast, they lay their hands on them, and they send them away. Um, I think how, how difficult that would have been. I think we're, we'll talk about that in a moment. But here, you know, if, if you're the church in Antioch, you're, you're not really wanting to send off Paul and Barnabas. You like them. They, they, they're the one who taught you the gospel. They maybe baptized you, or they are, are responsible for all the solidity in your church. But here they send them off to the preaching trip. And so when they get back... Uh, from this trip, um, if you look at chapter uh, 14 in verse 26, it says, From there they sailed to Antioch. This is at the, the end of this missionary trip. From there they have been... Uh, from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent a long time with the disciples there. So they get back after this missionary trip, and as soon as they get back, they're like, all right, gather everybody, gather all the families. And so they all get together, and Paul and Barnabas began speaking to them about all the things that God had accomplished, you know, uh, during this trip, because they had been invested. They're the, one who, they're the ones who commissioned and sent them out. And then finally, maybe the last um, sneak peek that we'll, we'll look at here is in the next chapter, we learn that there are some men who came up to Antioch from Judea preaching that these Gentile Christians had to first become Jews. They had to first become circumcised. And so there's about a hubbub about that. Paul and Barnabas go down to Jerusalem to sort this out. They return back after all that is sorted out, but it says in verse, um, in chapter 15 and verse 35, but Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others the word of the Lord. So that's kind of, a, there's more, more to say about the church in Antioch, but I kind of wanted to give us like kind of a, a summary and an overview that you kind of feel, you kind of get an idea of how, as far as this church and kind of where they're at, maybe some lessons that we can, we can then pick up from this. So there's a few lessons I want us to learn from, from Antioch, the church in Antioch. The first being Antioch and their many teachers. You kind of notice that kind of theme as you're kind of going through here. So if we can kind of make a timeline. So we first we learn about in chapter 11, there were some men, so maybe two, three, four, something like that, that came up and began teaching and preaching, okay? And then we learned shortly after that, Barnabas joined the group. And then after that, Barnabas, 
brought in Paul, or uh, yeah, Paul. Then Barnabas and, and Paul brought in John Mark. And then we learn chapter 13, there's three other men, these prophets, that were then brought in. And then at the end of 15, I guess Luke's kind of done given all the details and says that Paul in verse um, 35 and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others also. So the idea here is that there are many teachers in this church. And even if we just look at the, the verses in chapter 13, we learn about there's five teachers. There's um, these guys, you know, Barnabas and Simeon, Lucius Menaean, and Paul. And that's kind of a foreign idea to some, that there would be so many teachers, maybe in one church, um, five. Um, you know, if we had five teachers in this church, we might think, oh, that's kind of odd. It's kind of, you know, maybe not exactly the typical. But I think one thing we see here is there was a lot of people in this city. Um, Antioch was one of the largest cities in the ancient world. There's some, you know, variation as far as how many. Some think even up to like 500,000 people in this city, which is very large. For, I mean, it would have been maybe the third or fourth largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria, maybe, maybe Ephesus as well. Um, and I just want us to think for a moment about even, even the, the, that idea that there's so many teachers, and even if you put the ratio for it, that means if there was five teachers for 500,000 people, that's about ratio of, like, what, one teacher for every 100,000? So I guess Atlanta could justify having, like, like what, is it 55 teachers maybe? About 5.5 uh, you know, million uh, teachers. That's, that's a lot of teachers. And, we, and my, my point is not saying, that, oh, well, at the end of this year we need to have, you know, a couple dozen extra preachers. But the point is that there was a message that needed to get sent and that these Christians met, took that commission so seriously that they found teachers, they developed teachers, teachers traveled there to teach the gospel. That was the need of the hour in this church. It wasn't other things. It was the message of, uh, of the gospels being preached. And so maybe some takeaways from that point is that we need to make the development of teachers a priority. We need to make the development of teachers a priority. Um, you know, we need to be thoughtful about how we can teach and who we can teach and how to become better teachers of God's word. We need to spend more time studying God's word, investigating his word, being able to know how to share that with other people. It seems like even in chapter 11, these few men that came up there, I don't think we have any, any indication that they were actually like full-time supported evangelists. They were just Christians who knew the gospel and brought it to those who needed it. So we all need to answer that call. I think maybe for, for, for those who have children or are thinking about having children, what greater calling, what, what, what greater ambition could we have for our kids one day than that they would become teachers, or that they would teach the gospel to people who never heard before that we have not uh, you know, been able to teach the gospel to. And so that seems to be a priority amongst this church. But I think it's also interesting, thinking about a church with so many teachers, is that there are some things that we learn, but also some things we don't learn. See, there was a church in the New Testament that had a lot of teachers and that were exposed to a lot of teachers, but it didn't have a positive impact. That had a negative impact. How about the church in Corinth, right? So they were exposed to many teachers, but what happened is because of pride and selfishness, they just, that created discord, that, that, that created this division. Or Some people were saying, well, I'm of this teacher, and I'm of this teacher. We don't see that here in the church in Antioch. We see they were united. We see that they were humble. This is nothing, we don't see that there was a, this plurality of teachers led to anything but helpfulness here. So I think this tells us that we need to be humble. Um, that we ought not view um, teaching as something as a competition 
or something that is a sh- to show off or something to be able to show what we can do, but rather getting the message out and just being a faithful servant to God. But even beyond that, one other lesson we can learn from there being so many teachers in Antioch is when I read the church about the church in Antioch here in the book of Acts, it seems to me that this was home base for Paul. Like after he went on this trip, where did he want to get to? He wanted to get back to Ephesus, or to get back to Antioch. He wanted to get back to this church. This was a church where teachers loved to be, it seems to me. So I think that's a thoughtful thing for us to consider, is that what, what are, are we cultivating? Is this church, are we as individuals um, being encouraging? Are we creating an atmosphere and an environment in which teachers are, um, you know, uh, are blessed to be here? I think we need to show appreciation to those who teach. Um, we need to be grateful for the time that they uh, give and for the instruct and the opinion that they give. We also need to be receptive to their teaching. I think it's the best thing. Everyone always asks me, sometimes when I'm teaching um, people in Boston, what can I do? What can I do? I said, just be obedient to the word. That's my highest goal and aim for you, and that can be the most gratifying thing. But I also think we need to be aware of the emotional and spiritual struggles that face teachers. I think sometimes maybe we have an unrealistic idea of maybe them being spiritually invulnerable, you know, or being somehow invincible in some form. There are some very real challenges that face teachers and some insecurities and even some struggles that, that we go through. So maybe being aware of those things. And then maybe finally, and this is maybe just, I'm speaking this from my own need, we need to show grace sometimes when things aren't said um, exactly the way you'd say them. <laughs> or maybe when we make a blunder and maybe we make a mistake um, we show grace to teachers when, when there's an opportunity for that. That's maybe the first lesson. It's Antioch and its many teachers. The second lesson and thing that I can take away from this church is that this was a church that had a broad perspective of the kingdom. Do you kind of notice that here? Their understanding of the kingdom was larger than just themselves. There are a few different examples of that. First of all, we see that when um, Agabus came up, that prophet, and said there's going to be a famine and there's going to be some hurting Christians, what did they do? They didn't say, well, that's not our problem. They said, well, let's help out. Let's contribute. Let's, let's give to the aid of these Christians, even in a place that they had never heard, that a lot of them had never been to, but yet their perspective of the kingdom was so large that they met that need and they contributed to that need. Another example of this is when they sent Paul and Barnabas on the missionary journey to, pl- to places um, where they had not been or props would never go to. Um, so when Paul, the Lord said, all right, set apart Barnabas and Paul, send them on this trip, my reaction would have been, really? <laughs> like, how about someone else here? Maybe someone else is a little more expendable, you know, here. But no. God said Paul and Barnabas. And so they sent Paul and Barnabas off with prayer and with, and with um, uh, a good word, and um, even at personal loss for them. And they did it because they knew the kingdom was larger than, than just themselves. And then finally, another example of this is when Paul and Barnabas, I love this idea, when they were turned back from the missionary journey, what did they do? They gathered the entire church, the entire church all together, and they wanted to hear about what God had done in the lives of people that they would probably never meet. That shows me that this church had a broad perspective of the kingdom. They understood that the kingdom was larger than just themselves. That's an instruction for us. I think sometimes we can kind of get stuck in our bubble and thinking that the kingdom is as large as myself, or large as this church, or large as this city, or this state. 
Um, and we need to see the kingdom as being larger than that. And obviously we need to build in front of our walls to build a, to, to, to use an illustration from Nehemiah, uh, that we need to do our part first, but realize there's a broader thing going on here. And it seems like this church definitely had, had that, um, that perspective. Um, and then maybe connected to this thought is that this church was a God-focused and centered church. It was centered upon the Lord. So uh, there are a few different examples. First of all, in their teaching. So when, in chapter 11, when these men came up, um, they began preaching. It says here in verse 20, preaching the Lord Jesus, okay? So that's, that's one example. Also, when Barnabas came up, what did he, he encouraged them with a resolute heart to do what? To remain true to the Lord. And then finally, when Paul and Barnabas returned after their debate in, in Acts 15, verse 35, is that they came back preaching the word of the Lord. I think sometimes we need to see a difference. We, all the times we need to see a difference between preaching there being a God-centered church between other things. So notice Barnabas didn't say, remain, remain true to the church here. Or remain true to the elders in Jerusalem. Or remain true... No, remain true to the Lord. This was a God-centered church. But also, notice the reputation among non-believers as being Christ people, Christians. They weren't Baptists. They weren't Pentecost. They were Christ people. They were Christians, which tells you their focus was upon Christ. And also, their perception of God's works shows us that they were a god focused in God-centered church. When Paul and Barnabas returned back, notice that their language was not, oh, I want to tell you about everything that I have done or everything that I accomplished. But instead they said, let me tell you about what great things God has done. They noticed what God had done in these places and they communicated like that. This is a God-centered and focused church. I think there's some applications for us in that area. First of all, we need to realize that we are not in the business of promoting a local church. Now, we are not in the business of promoting a local church. We're in the business of promoting the gospel and promoting Christ. Um, we are not in the business of attracting people through self-promotion or through showing off. Um, if we've been transformed by the grace of, of the Lord, we're going to find that we have better lives in some fashion than others, perhaps. Uh, perhaps we don't have all the baggage, or at least we've come out of all the baggage. Or maybe we have more higher, we're more friendly. Maybe we're more forgiving because of the examples of Christ in our life, and because we've been able to be transformed from that. But that should never be the thing that we say you should become a Christian or be part of our church because of how friendly I am, or because of how forgiving I am. That's putting the focus on the wrong thing and not putting the focus on Christ. And then also, we are not in the business of praising men whether it be ourselves or someone else, when the Lord is the one responsible for the work. Uh, we find out that the Lord is the one that they said was uh, responsible for them um, doing the great things on their missionary trips. And so we ought not give man praise when God is the one responsible for that. And I think there are different, uh, you know, um, different types of um, you know, mannerisms or different even types of, of, of verbiage that we use that we can be reflect, reflecting that God is the one who is behind the work and behind the praise that, that we need to be giving uh, him and, and not instead of ourselves. So maybe in conclusion, 
there seem to be several aspects of this church worth, worth sharing and talking about. I'm sure there's more than, than just these things that I've been able to notice here. But it seems to me that this church was a church that we can learn from and see, a church that we can seek to imitate with a positive example, that we can learn from their teaching that they taught and took the role of teaching the gospel seriously, that this was a church that was focused upon the kingdom, no matter how broad or how wide that is, and this is a church that indeed uh, was focused upon Christ and not upon themselves or upon their own self-promotion. Um, so I, pr- I pray and hope that some of these things will be found uh, helpful uh, in your lives as they are in mine.